0: Welcome to the NSCHBC Edge Podcast, leading the way in the business of medicine. Now, here's your host, Terry Fletcher.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the NSCHBC Edge Podcast. I'm your host, Terry Fletcher. The Edge Podcast is brought to you today by the National Society of Certified Healthcare Business Consultants. Our goal is to discuss healthy business principles, have conversations on the business side of medicine, so that you and your practice can thrive, be profitable, and successful for years to come. Today, our topic discusses best practices for hiring staff and making sure you have quality people in your management and supervisory positions in the front office, billing office, back offices, etc. We will discuss hiring from within and promotion versus maybe using a headhunter, and also having physician relatives participate as an employee of the practice and what's the best option for new and existing practices along those lines. Tackling these topics with me today is fellow NSCHBC member and certified healthcare business consultant and management consultant, Chris Singer. Chris is the president of Z Management Group, LTD, in Elgin, Illinois. Z Management Group is a business management consulting firm providing strategic, operational, and financial services, predominantly to healthcare businesses and organizations. Chris, welcome to the podcast and thank you for joining me today.
0: Oh, Terry, it's a pleasure to be with you. Thank you.
1: Okay, great. So Chris and I are going to have basically a conversation just really talking about our topic because it comes up quite a bit, I know, in both of our consulting businesses and where physicians should basically start, where they can fix things maybe once they've already kind of uh, adopted what they're going to do and really focusing sometimes on, wow, you know, my wife or my spouse or my husband is in this position or my sister, what do I do now? So, Chris, let's start with the new physician. They're just starting out and opening uh, their own practice and their spouse or sister or brother has been enlisted to manage the office and find staff for them. What would you say to that physician who plans to do that or has done that? And now they're not sure if they made the best decision.
0: You know, Terry, I have to tell you, you asked me this at a tough time. And I bring this up because I have an OB client that I started uh, servicing about two years ago. Uh, And they just, they hired their sister to be the office manager and help her out. And we fired her. So she was the office manager that she quote unquote could trust that would help her with staffing, that would help her with dealing with the organization of the practice. She had no medical practice direct experience before, um, but she would put things in order. And it turned out that she was using the company credit card, to pay for airfare and other things, and doing other things that she thought as her sister, she could do. So I was a few years into consulting when my wife received a call at midnight on a Sunday night, and she sleeps next to the phone in my house. <laughs> so she nudged me and said, it's a doctor who needed to speak with me right away. Really? Midnight. Okay. It turns out two brothers in an orthopedic practice were having conflicts regarding the management of their practice, and they wanted to fire their wives.
1: <laughs> I'm trying not to laugh, but this sure. happens to us all the time, listeners. I mean, we get this a lot.
0: <laughs> uh, so there's politics of marital, marital bliss, right, Terry? Exactly. Exactly. So, all the, yeah. So, although this could have been a projection on their part, I agreed to meet with them on the following Tuesday, and it resulted uh, in a meeting that we, I said, we don't, I don't know anything about your practice. You're not a client of mine currently. I really need to do a practice survey. So, we did. Um, uh, and two recommendations were given. Um, one was to take one of the spouses and move her into a bookkeeping role that she could do from home. And the other uh, wh- who had a marketing, significant marketing background, was to help them with their SEO website and marketing and marketing analytics. And they could do that from home mostly, too. So then, we hired an office manager for the practice. <laughs> <to run> a-
1: <laughs> One that actually had experience in office
0: management. I'm assuming. No kidding. And in orthopedics. <laughs> and was an RN. And, okay. So yeah, and on and on and on.
1: Well, it's it's interesting because I I'm sure that the physicians and you know some of the the staff are that are listening to us. I think it's a it's tough because that's the first thing you think of when I would think as a new physician is you want to make sure that your costs are very low so you're thinking let's you know enlist my spouse or a relative and I don't have to pay them much or nothing at all to help me get going but once you once you're engaged in getting going the the first steps can be detrimental if you don't have the right people in there would you agree
0: I absolutely agree. I, you know, I always start these practices with a startup list that I hand to uh, the client and I, and it's multiple pages (laughs) And, and the design is overwhelming. And, and, and I say, you know, there's things like bank financing and finding a location and doing all these other things that you need to do. It's daunting for some people to kind of get into that process. You hire your spouse or for whatever reason, but mostly because you, you trust her, but She may not have the aptitude or the capability, or even if she's brilliant, the depth of knowledge needed to help you structure a new practice. So it comes to issues of trust, bias, and then if you keep that person on and they become the office manager, then the issues can um, blossom out into other things like, we can't really talk to the office manager about problems we have with the doctor. (laughs)
1: <laughs> right. Exactly. Okay.
0: Exactly. And, and, and so there's they, they become much more closed, not more willing to work together and be open and transparent about what's going on. It creates problems inside the practice, ultimately.
1: And you actually brought up a really good point because I noticed I have a a couple of clients that female physicians and they hired their spouse to come in. And one of the physicians um, actually called me and said, Hey, my husband's driving me insane. I'm like, okay, what does this have to do with your business? She goes, Oh, didn't I tell you? (laughs) I made him the office manager administrator. And I'm like, Oh no. And she goes, yeah. She says, first of all, he doesn't understand that on the administrative side of things, it's primarily female. She's like, I, I know that sounds weird. She goes, because obviously on the physician side of things, it's obviously, you know, 80% male and 20% female and listeners, we're not saying anything that's not accurate. That's just how it is out there. We And we love getting as many female physicians as we can, but this is just kind of how things work from a statistical standpoint. But she said it was it was funny because... Her husband kept trying to interview and bring in more male presence in the administrative side of it. And she said he was just not happy because he couldn't find any qualified um, male coders or male billers or male anybody. And he said, I can't handle this many <laughs> women in the practice. And I just started laughing. She goes, You know? So, yeah, it, it was definitely tough. He's like, Yeah, this isn't for me.
0: And Terry, it hasn't gotten easier.
1: <laughs> no, no, I'm sure it hasn't. I'm sure it hasn't. But it was,
0: yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry. I have two practices where I actually have spouses. One is a male physician with his wife as the spouse and she's an engineer by training and she's wow. brilliant. She's doing a great job. Nice. Uh, and, and But she's also very humble uh, and very transparent in her communications with everybody. I love um, that. Yeah, and and uh, so that's worked out really well. The other practice is uh run by a female physician. She's the sole owner. They have 4 MPs now in that practice and two other physicians and her husband is running it. And he comes out of hardware store background. Oh, wow. So so he had a lot to learn and we spent a lot of time coaching for about 2 years. <laughs> Long time, and he's doing great. So, so the practice has really evolved, and 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 they've got a great staff. So he's done. That's awesome.
1: It's interesting because I have one practice that um, it's I think it's seven seven. I think they just got another physician. Eight um, male physicians, cardiology practice, and two of the wives are in the administration end of it. And one actually has a very extensive college background, you know, master at MBA, all that stuff, and she is not well liked by staff at all. And she tends to be very black and white on just the statistics and reporting, and it, and so it makes for, like you said, it a, a, a kind of a little bit of a hostile work environment. The other uh, wife who is just loved by the staff and they would do anything for her and her staff actually has a very big productivity. I said, you know, where are you, what was your background? She goes, actually, you'll laugh at this. She said, I actually uh, ran two McDonald's franchises and she said, and so I know exactly what customer service means. And she did. So, you know, it's just it, where your background is, it, just putting it out to the listeners. It's not just about having that educational piece of paper. It's having that experience and knowledge on customer service and, and understanding that as well.
0: It absolutely is. I totally agree.
1: Yeah. So let's say that you you have physicians and we've sent, given both sides of the argument on why not to do it and, and where it's been, you know, successful. I, I would say that's probably on the lower spectrum. But let's say that happens and they've enlisted their spouse for administrative duties. How does that work on salary and where's the separation from home and office? What What's your recommendation there?
0: Well, the separation probably is actually the bedroom down the hall. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> So it, it takes certain characteristics to be a good manager. I lay humility up as one of them, particularly in these situations demonstrated by trust in your staff and taking the approach that you do trust your staff because that way you can receive trust back and they need to trust you. And then a genuine appreciation for the staff and a willingness to defend the staff against the spouse when it occurs. Hence the room down the hall. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And a manager who's willing to perform any position in the practice when someone is on vacation, so the work doesn't pile up, to burden the others. So they have to know the positions. So that makes a big difference too in how they're perceived.
1: And you would pay you would pay your staff if they even if they were a spouse, correct? Yes.
0: Yes. They, okay. Yeah. So so the goal is not to hire a free employee. Right. Um, the goal may not also be to hire and pay the staff just enough to fund the retirement plan. <laughs> right. Right.
1: Exactly. Right. Well, the, the old epi- the old thing of you get what you pay for, yeah, I mean, kind of holds true there. You, you need to show not only appreciation there, but reflect that they're an actual employee if that's their role, in my opinion.
0: And I have also seen situations, Terry, you're right, that, that the spouse can get resentful. <laughs> yes. Yes. That she's being put upon, and right. that there's a lot of things being asked of her that wouldn't have otherwise been asked, and this can carry over into their their life balance, work life process, in the long run, especially if if they like to have if the spouse likes to have their own money.
1: <laughs> so, that's true. No, that's so. very true. So it's it's definitely so. Basically, for our listeners, we, you know, we we've kind of shown you the the good and the not so good with um, you know hiring your. Your spouse, or enlisting your spouse, or a family member to come in, and I know you're going to get a lot of family members that are saying, "Hey, you know, I have this cousin that needs a job, and you're now a physician. You've, you've got to be careful with that because it finding them a position within just so you're paying them when they don't have experience or there's no contribution to your overall viability of your practice in the long run is not going to help. So be be really cautious with that.
0: And I would add to that that. They should take advantages of the skills of the spouse when they're there and figure out if they need if they're if they can be used and and how well they're implemented is a big measuring tool. In addition, the, any spouse that's hired, I would insist that they agree to go through a three hundred and sixty review.
1: Oh, I like that. I yeah. really like that. What is yeah. that for the listeners who don't know what that is?
0: So that just means that staff's going to rate them. <laughs> oh, and, wow! <laughs> <laughs> and in that process they're going to learn a lot about what the pros and cons are and they have to be able to do that anonymously. Uh, That doesn't always happen and sometimes the things you see on the paper in those 360 reviews were already stated to the individual so they know who it is. But there can't be a retaliatory environment so the idea is they, they then have a meeting with them after the fact, acknowledge where the staff is correct, talk about ways that they can improve on it ask for additional feedback going forward and open the door in the, in the process.
1: Oh, I agree. I actually have a physician that said, Hey, can you talk to my daughter? She just graduated from college. Now she doesn't want to use her degree. And I want her to run my business. And I'm like, well, you have an office manager. She's been there for 15 years. And she's great. And she says, yes, he he was like, yes, but I really want my daughter to to take it over because I need her to use the degree I paid for. I'm like, oh, boy. And I said, well, (laughs) what is her degree? in? he goes, I don't know, some liberal studies. I said, well, (laughs) let's get her some skill sets on office management and let's see if she can maybe some modules on that. So I gave her some material and everything and and listed her in that. She couldn't pass two of them. And he said, what does that mean? I go, that means that's not the position for her. Let's have her start at the bottom and work her way up and figure out if if that is even a possibility. And does she even want to work there? I said, you you know, you've got to. You can't just say you're doing this because you have a degree and you're my daughter. You need to. Is this even a good fit? Which brings me to a, a question. Do you recommend that they somebody hires within, let's say you have somebody that started in medical records and now is front desk and maybe they even have some billing and coding, but let's say they don't have a formal degree, which always seems to be now the case. It wasn't back in the day. You have office managers that just had the experience or whatever, but everybody seems to now want some kind of uh, formal education. Would you would you uh, recommend or what are your comments on hiring within with somebody who's kind of worked their way through the practice?
0: I love the idea of hiring within. I think when you can do it, you should do it. Uh, I think the ability and promotability and the movement within the office creates energy for the practice. And everybody sees that who's there. Uh, and they understand that the possibilities for them to grow within the practice exist.
1: I agree. I love so, it.
0: So... I think hiring from within is really a key factor. Uh, it's hard to do that when you're a one doctor, two staff practice, but that's <laughs> true. But and those still exist. Um, but that said, it should be the first thing you try to do. Usually, you target it. As a matter of fact, this last Monday, I got a call from a from one of those family medicine practices who had who decided to terminate uh, their manager of 12 years. And it was not an easy decision. They've been rattling around with it for about two months. Wow. It was around the COVID related issues. Uh, so we won't go there. That said, they terminated. She decided to take the role back over as the office manager. The spouse is is one that's been an administrator in the office for years. Uh, and this is one of those practices that I mentioned earlier, who's she's doing a great job. So she decided to take the duties over, but she's targeted one of the other employees to take over who's been operating in an assistant manager role so they've kind of created that step up process in their structure and organization to allow this transition to occur this person needs to learn a lot more they need to learn about payroll they need to learn about other things but in that process uh, she's got a plan b and every practice needs a plan b maybe a C. That's true.
1: No, that's true. Now, do you, do you require, or I should not say require, but do you encourage your clients to um, find maybe a certification or a credential from a management standpoint for people that are hired within, or even people that are, you know, coming off the street? Do you, do you want them to have some kind of a specific knowledge base on paper?
0: Um, unless they're opening a house for the homeless, yeah. so <laughs> oh, so I would basically say, <laughs> yes, if you can get it. So, but the, if, if, I'll tell you another story. I was probably in practice about six or seven years when I got a call from an internist who got my name from somebody else. And uh, I, I started doing regular consulting work on his operation because he was trying to build his practice and hire some more physicians okay. and, and do that. But uh, he had a problem finding a good front desk person. So we threw an ad out, we started looking and, and it was a difficult time at period, kind of like today, not like today, but in some respects like today. Right. And I found a perfect candidate for him and he didn't like her. He didn't like her on paper because she didn't have a degree. And he didn't like her because she didn't have any medical background at all, zero. And I loved her. And I, why, Chris, do you like her? Well, let me tell you her story. She works for a little two-brother-owned distribution company about three miles from here. Um, she lives a mile from here. <laughs> and, and, and let me tell you that story. She's responsible for everything. So she answers the phones. She sends out statements, she deals with orders of lading, she intakes all the stuff that comes in from different vendors that they're reselling. She checks the packing slips to make sure everything's there. She's on the phone while the two brothers are constantly in behind her screaming at each other because they disagree about so many things. And she's been doing this for six years.
1: Wow. Wow.
0: So now she's a multitasker. Yeah, You need that at your front desk. And she can tolerate a lot of junk. You need that at your front desk. Yes, you do. So, yeah. so, so he hired her. Uh, and a year later, before we did her review, cause I told him I wanted to sit on the review, and he agreed, um, he, he called me up a couple of days ahead of time. He said, Chris, you don't need to come in for the review. Okay. Why is that? She is the single best employee I've had ever. <laughs>
1: isn't that awesome isn't that just great yeah. yeah no i i think that's amazing i had i hired somebody for a practice they were looking for uh, a collector and it was pretty funny because they were looking for for kind of somebody that was <laughs> how how can i put this kind of rude and obnoxious and almost like a collection agency personality And I said, let me find somebody for you. I said, you you don't understand. Collections are a kind of a finesse position. And uh, they also wanted her to double as an office manager. I'm like, okay, that that's a hard thing to do both, but it was a small practice. So we, I found somebody and she didn't have any certifications but was willing to learn. She, um, she heard actually her father is a physician, but she was a nanny for three years to a set of triplets. And I talk about a multitasker. And I was like, oh boy. (laughs) And she, yeah. And so, and then she also had worked in retail, but she wanted to get into healthcare. And she said, I don't know where to start. I don't know what to do. And I said, well, I have a position that you might fit, but you'd have to get some education behind you, get certified. And you'd have to basically really train for, I would think at least six months to a year, but you would be at an entry level. She goes, I'm willing to do it. I'm willing to do anything. And the doctors are like, Terry, what are you talking about? And I said, you guys, I said, you, you put so much, um, so much stock into, and not, I'm not saying I'm not discounting a, a degree, you know, we have them. But I said, think about it. I said, mm-hmm. my degree in economics. <laughs> I said, and I'm a healthcare consultant with, you know, 20 certifications. Yes, I'm an RN by trade. But I said, you know, I wanted to be Procter and Gamble CEO. I had no idea I was going to be in healthcare. I said, so you have to kind of look at the personality, the big picture, the fit. Well, she turned out to be one of the highest producing collectors they ever had within three months. And she treated patients with such empathy and kindness, talking about their bill and, you know, really understanding and making payment arrangements and, you know, but not being, you know, I hate to say a jerk, but not being so harsh that uh that they would leave a bad review, let's say somewhere you know on Yelp or TripAdvisor, saying this doctor's terrible because they're mean to me <laughs> on my bill, which that happens, everybody, just don't forget that, and so uh, it, yes. you know it's that personality that they don't necessarily understand where you can find that that diamond in the rough, like you said.
0: well, on the other thing, and I'm going to say this to your audience, but you know for all those physicians listening, they were never trained to interview no. <laughs> they did a lot of interviews, but they were never really trained to interview.
1: Exactly, and, and
0: and it's a skill set in and of itself. It is. And so when you look at the capabilities of your staff, I like, you know, I like to do Colby testing on staff when they're key people specifically. It's kind of a Myers-Briggs style of testing to determine how they're going to fit into the practice and, and do those kind of things up front to get people to know a little bit about them, which you cannot get from doing a re- uh, a reference check these days, and you cannot get from a, an hour interview. Right. Uh, so, so it really is a, about that process of trying to get to know them a little bit better. I do believe that in certain positions, such as billing, certification is important. Yes and, yes, and experience is important. It is a complex field, so so you really want to look for those people when you can find them, uh, and be willing to pay more for them um, to get those people in because they will issue dividends to the practice. You can't measure
1: they're in charge of your money. So for sure.
0: No kidding. And the other side is with new practices, I suggest the outsource because I said it's, it's a complicated process. Find somebody who's going to do it for you on a consistent basis, who has multiple staff available to service you when you're starting, um, who understands that there's no money coming in on day one, but maybe day five will be better and do that, do that process. And then just, and then if you want to bring it back in house, bring it back in house. But at least you've got a starting point that doesn't require a lot of your thought process to get going. If you rely at least on the consultant who advises you.
1: <laughs> no, I agree. I told yeah, and that's another thing. You know, our listeners here at NSCHBC, this is what we're here for, for you guys. So if you, if you, you know, need a consultant, you find us on the NSCHBC.org and we can walk you through the steps of this. That's what we do. So that's part of our business as consultants to to help you out with this as well. So moving on a little bit and just changing gears for a new providers, how many staff members would you recommend they start with? And we're talking office managers, billers, collectors, coders, and things like that. And as far as a ratio.
0: No, well, that's a great question. So you decided to get into the tough questions after those softballs. I did, yeah, I right? did, yeah. Nice job. All right, so I would say this. Um, when I start a practice up that's new, the first person I look for is the person who's going to be the office manager. And that's a big spend on the front end. But the reason I do that is because that person's going to be a do- doing an awful lot to help get the practice ready, um, dealing with vendors, dealing with banks, dealing with office space uh, researching things for you, doing a lot of activities that could save you in consulting fees. Uh, and so you really want to look for that good fit office manager on the front end. They're also going to be hiring people for you. And many of them have interviewing skills. So in terms of the efficiency of getting the job done correctly, that seems to be the better path for me on startups. In terms of how many people you need, well, guess what? You know, medicine is ap to P2P business. Yes. That's people to people you know, or physician to patient as well. So I found the greatest success beyond that uh, is, is making sure that you get good, organized people. Um, and on the front desk, as an example, do a phone screen interview. Check the voice, the pace, the tempo, confidence levels, how they communicate, um, um, their language skills, et cetera. Get an idea of how they're going to communicate over the phone because that is often the first face for a new patient. And you're in a practice building mode. So you need somebody with those kind of skills. You do. And, and as far as numbers, it is really driven mostly by patient volume. So on day one, you don't need a lot of people. On day one, you might actually, like in a concierge practice, be able to do it yourself <laughs> if you're willing. On the other side, if I've got 15 people scheduled for a doctor that day, then I've got a receptionist who's going to handle both the intake on those people the phones and making sure the registration forms get completed and she should be able to do it. If on the other hand, I've got 35 people coming in that day, she's going to get overwhelmed on a Monday morning with heavy phone calls and Friday with prescription refill calls. And so as a result, she's going to need someone else to take the phones because she's got to deal with the people at the counter who are coming in during the day. Uh, and so you start to split those tasks up and it is specialty driven. Uh, as well as numbers driven so it's not just about that you also look at whether you know if you're in ophthalmology you're going to need techs and you're going to need skill sets there better to pull them from experienced people if you can find them although you can get them out of graduate programs and and, uh, they can learn how you work but they have to have experience on technical equipment in that kind of specialty and so it really depends on the practice you know we do a nice thing I think with the NSCHBC statistics every year. We look at their staffing, and we look at how many clinical people they have, and how many, you know, um, administrative people they have, and, and we count those numbers. So if you look, for example, at allergy and immunology, you might see the typical practice is going to have a certain number of ratio people. To let's say it's a three doctor practice, they're going to have a certain ratio of people um, in administration. It's about four to five people per provider. In the clinical support area, it's about a half a person, maybe one person, again, depending upon per provider, per physician, depending on how busy they are and what they're doing. When you sit down and look at some other specialties like pediatrics, you would say that for every pediatrician, I'm probably going to have about three to four administrative people, and I'm going to have maybe about a half a nurse practitioner or PA. Right.
1: It's interesting you say that too, because I've got a a cardiology practice where I have um, 10 physicians and only one physician wants their personal nurse practitioner. And the other doctors are like, no, I'm fine. I can use a practice nurse practitioner. Well, the doctor that wants his own personal NP, I'm like, guess what? That comes out of your pocket. I go, if you can't share it, then you got to pay for it.
0: I think that's right, and I've seen that happen multiple times. And they say, "Okay, you know, I want that extra nurse, or I want that extra MP, or whatever," and I'm willing to pay for it, and it's just taken right off of their uh, overhead. Right.
1: Well, and I, and the one thing about outsourcing, uh, as far as uh, when you're starting out, and I just want to kind of give a little bit of feedback without going into too much detail for the listeners. I know that that's a a tough question. Should we outsource our, our, you know, our billing, coding and and collections? Should we bring it in house? And I know that there is a a push pull for both. What I would recommend and and Chris, please, you know, um, chime in on this. Be careful when you outsource. If you're considering offshoring, I wouldn't I wouldn't go there because it's definitely suspect. So be careful and what offshoring means going outside the country. And so I know it's cheaper, it's almost half of what you'd spend in this country, but be very careful. And all billing services, all billing services, even US base, do offshore to a point. They do. There's something that they, yeah. it's because they They're have to, much yeah, they do. So even one of our members who's a billing service, you know, Cindy said that she, she off, um, offshores some things, but she makes sure that she's got a, you know, a compliant contract there. But my point is, is that if you're going to do that, make sure the percentages work, make sure that it's appropriate and that you still are in charge and have a handle on your money.
0: Well, you think about it this way, too. The, the, the going rate for offshoring these days is around $1,200 to $1,400 per person per month. You can't get that anywhere in the U.S.
1: That's correct. <laughs> so, yeah, you can. not
0: So when, when you look at your billing rates, you say, okay, you know what? If I'm going to get a U.S. person, are you willing to pay an extra percentage or two or three? so that we don't off, offshore those those positions. Right. Um, but that's the real discussion. And, and in some cases, if you have an open discussion with the physicians, they'll say, okay, I'll pay you less and go ahead and offshore. But then a good billing company is going to manage that and create a transparent communication that can be shared with the providers who are their clients so they know exactly what's being done and how effective it is.
1: Right. And it's not just about um, offshoring. So I don't want to give a, you know, a negative connotation yeah. there, but just be aware, especially during the pandemic, there were some issues with, you know, internet in, in India and in Pakistan, where a lot of the offshoring happens. And, you know, what, what was once where they said that, you know, if, if you were going with a company out there where they said, Oh, no, we have it in house, well, they also had to then sub it out to somewhere you didn't know if it was secure. So it's a, HIPAA thing but that's another conversation but just be careful when you're we're talking staffing and just be careful when you decide to sub it out or or you know send it out and and you just make sure you have some kind of control you have control of that situation. It's,
0: It's absolutely a consideration I agree.
1: So changing shifting gears or pivoting a little bit since I brought up the the pandemic that seems to be our front page news for for the last 18 months now Here's something that is interesting when it comes to uh, staffing, whether it be front office, billing office, back office. Well, back office is kind of hard to do. But when, and this is, I don't know if this is just my perception. Maybe you can let me know what your thoughts are on this. It used to be a stigma when it comes to people working remotely, meaning that you're like, you know what, you're Mm -hmm. at home walking your dogs. You're not really working. And. If anybody asked to do that, you knew that they had small children. And I'm just putting out there what the, you know, the stereotypical, uh, you know, uh, remote worker was and and then it was like, well, you know what, we could use that extra desk and then uh, actually this could be more efficient at home. But then I want somebody who has earned the right to work from home because they're they're great to have in the office, they're trustworthy, you know, they're working and they're accountable. And then all of a sudden. Covid hit, and everybody was said was told go home, <laughs> and so <laughs> and so now <laughs> we have people that when just on hiring they're like I want to work remotely, and they're they don't budge on that. So, given what our has been, front office, billing office, you know, coders, back office, what are your thoughts on hiring and then making them remote or hybrid or or in office? What tell me what you think about that?
0: Uh, I think we're in a new period of Evaluation. Yes. And 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 I've I've seen nothing like this before. Um, I'll, a true story here because it's mine. Um, I own a billing company as well, as a consulting firm. I have 17 local staff and six remote. They're in the states, but out of state in other states, they work remotely. Um, all six of those people that work remotely worked here and then moved somewhere. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so. I knew them well and they liked the job and we liked them. So we we agreed to keep them on and, and it's worked out pretty well. And you're
1: in Illinois, right? Uh, so they're all I am. In a, yeah,
0: out. I'm okay. in the Chicago metropolitan area. And uh, and yeah, so so we have people in Indiana. We've got people in Tucson. We've got people in Phoenix. We've got people in Florida. We've got people out in, in uh, L.A. Uh, we've got people all over the place and and it's working well, but it works. What what has happened in the process is it's gotten better because now we have things like Zoom, yes. uh, Meet, and other ways to connect with them in a group setting because culture kind of goes out the window when people do <laughs> and, and out the door. And, and that can be a problem for a business in trying to maintain a certain culture and a certain philosophy. Um, today, my local staff works remotely four out of five days. Okay, They come in one one time. I'm fortunate to have really responsible people, so that trust relationship was already built by them before this, before COVID hit, and so it wasn't that difficult. I'll permanently reduce my physical office footprint by about 70% this coming year when my lease renews. Yeah,
1: I think that um, commercial real estate is going to take a dive. I think that's the one thing that has already seen a different yeah, shift I agree. there. Yeah. But in the in the in the platform of office management, is that something that can be done remotely?
0: Not easily. Uh, so when you, when you when you look at managing staff, you have to have a lot of interaction. Yeah, and, and it's really how you manage that interaction and what you can do with it. So. Getting people to come in uh, and, and have meetings, you know, we, we spent years building concepts of team meetings and huddles and other ways to communicate on the fly, rather than just screaming down the hallway in the office, using your EMR to better in terms of tasking and how you communicate with each other internally. We spent a lot of time building those kind of things. So it's harder when people are remote because they're not always as available and, and they're not always as responsive as they might have otherwise been when you can just walk out to their desk and ask them to come over. Right.
1: Well, the other thing about remote, and this is what I've run into, you mentioned the doctor that called you at midnight. I'm in California, so you and I are even two hours apart. I get calls at all hours. I've got clients out of country. I've got clients in, you know, on the East Coast, middle of the country, my side. Um, and so it's, it's crazy when I have a New York doctor saying, hey, can we meet at six o'clock? And he meant six o'clock his time. And so I was like, right. that would be no. <laughs> Let's move that up a little bit. But I've noticed that it doesn't seem like, especially working remotely, that work ever ends. Now, luckily for me, Uh, I am working remotely and I have moved my, my uh, business back into a home office, but you have to be, you have to have a door. You have to be able to close that door. You have to have a dedicated space. Otherwise the lines of family time and, and burnout and work can definitely be a problem.
0: Can I share a couple of stories real quick? Sure. All right. So I can, I can tell you that I've had some problems in dealing with some practices because Hospital personnel are working
1: remotely. Oh, right.
0: So you get, you, you're trying to credential a new physician. I have a situation uh, where we're trying to credential a physician um, with a large system here. All the CBO people are working from home. They don't have access to every single file and everything in that they had in the office. And so it took a full year to credential this physician. Wow. Now, and that's with the hospital. And then, you know, you got to put a hospital, if they're going to do hospital work, you got to put the hospital on the Medicare app, so <laughs> it's just a trickle-down problem. And that's just completely unacceptable, that just can't happen. We've got to find different ways to deal with it. You know, you look at other practices like ophthalmology, it's very hands-on, OB, surgical practices, with maybe the exception of the da Vinci. Uh, and others may require mostly and are entirely physical encounters with patients. So the telemedicine thing, which has its place and is really good and is going to be here, I think, forever, is here to stay because patients like it and even prefer it in some cases. You know, you look at Clark and Fullerton, try parking. You know, there's medical offices there. Try parking at 11 o'clock in the morning. There.
1: Well look where I'm wow. from. In California and you know, driving and parking anywhere is not even fun. But it also has its it like you said, it has its place but it's not it shouldn't replace in person care. It should be an addition Correct. to it, yeah. It should be a supplement to exactly. it. Exactly, exactly. And then you're right, it's it's definitely going to be here forever, but hopefully they're gonna they're gonna roll back some of those flexibilities soon. Because um, I, I think, think so. I think it's I think a little so. crazy.
0: You know, I've got I have a busy type practice, for example, and they're, they're too small, but they want to expand and hire another physician, but they don't have any more exam rooms, right? Yeah. So, but you got a couple of NPs in the practice, and so if you start doing remote from home telemedicine visits, you can open up half a day. You know and for an exam room so there's some management tools that are available to you to try and look at how you better manage your practice as well
1: that's true yeah no and definitely. and we we've talked about telemedicine on the podcast and I know we're going to talk about it again coming up this fall especially if we figure out if the PHE is ever going to end so because then that will definitely change the the profile from a reimbursement perspective but yeah there's there's a lot to do there as well so in in just kind of wrapping that part up there are times when a remote workers okay but you would recommend if it is a a manager or supervisor of any department within that practice they probably need to be on-site majority
0: yes and and we do we do promote that
1: okay and then what do you I want to talk briefly you know the the uh, staff member and I think you actually mentioned somebody that um, that the doctors just decided they were going to move on from that have been in the practice for a very long time hopefully if it 's somebody who wasn 't efficient if they 're going to move on that it 's not just because they 're tired of looking at that person but <laughs> um, i'm how how do you kind of assess somebody who has been there for ten fifteen twenty years, and are they efficient are they open to to new things, to understanding, you know, you need to manage your website, you need to bring in new technology, you need to understand what telehealth is and, and things like that and really roll with the times because my client base, I've noticed over the years, it is, oh my gosh, it is really hard to get certain managers, even some of the older physicians to want to break into the new century, you know, changing doctors, remember when everybody had a pager and so they had to find a phone and then the doctors are like, Oh, I don't want a blackberry. But then they were like, Oh my gosh, I love my blackberry. (laughs) And then they went to iPhones, which I had a hard time with that because I couldn't feel the numbers. So I didn't like it. Um, And then, you know, now they they're attached to it, you know, and everybody texts instead of, of calls. how do, you, how do you assess that kind of manager or that person that has been there forever, but, and they're doing a fine job, you just don't know if they're doing the best job?
0: Well, to address a few things, you know, my mother-in-law got Facebook before we did. <laughs> She's 80. Um, uh, and, and so there are some people who embrace technology. In her case, it was to keep connected to her grandkids and kids, right? You know, they do that for reasons. Um, practice cultures and requirements are never static. Healthcare isn't static. <laughs> if you've been at it for just a few years, you kind of know that, yes. right? Learning and adopting are part of the personality characteristic that you have to have. You know, you, whether it's getting a new EMR, switching EMRs, getting, learning the technology on a piece of equipment clinically and how to make it work best being really good with your hands when you need to be, being a fast typist if that's required on the job, being able to read well uh, and interpret well. The last 20 months has added an exclamation point to the reality. Not all people can adapt or fit with a new paradigm even when the ties are emotionally strong. And sometimes it's hard to let go of people who do that. And you do everything you possibly can to try and fix it and it just doesn't work statistics show that is the longest term employees with a practice who steal money. Yeah. I know. Isn't that <laughs> so, sad? It so, really is. It, it, yeah. And it, it, is, it is sad because obviously a lot of trust is given and a lot's been expected. Right. And unfortunately, sometimes we get disappointed. That doesn't mean that everybody who's been with a practice 20 years is stealing money. No. Data right. indicates when there is a problem, a lot of times it's that. I like the PIP program for people in this situation.
1: What's that?
0: So a process improvement program, essentially. Uh, uh, and, And so what I wanna do is follow a progressive attempt to bring an employee forward and get them to a place where they're succeeding. So I wanna do it in a constructive, productive, and measurable way and save the unemployment costs because I've tried everything I can, okay? And then a process improvement program offers a means that is accepted in most states And there are tools, what are those tools? Well, define the measurable opportunities for improvement. They have to be measurable. Under a timeline, often 90 days, but it could be shorter. Okay, measure the progress regularly and fully, as in weekly, and have meetings with that person, the manager should meet with them and go over things weekly. Analyze the remaining weaknesses and redefine or reconstruct alternate routes to success during that cycle period. Tell them how they're doing and where they still need help. Retain and reward those people who are successful, letting others know that in the process, it does get out by the way that this is going on. Yes. <laughs> so let, letting others know that in the process, people can come to a place where they're working because a lot of times the complaints about or the problems with an employee don't emanate from what the manager knows sometimes they emanate from what other employees are seeing or experiencing. Right. In fact, most often. Right. And, and continuously interviewing opens a, a risk relief valve for a practice. So when you got key positions in the office that you want to make sure you maintain, you should sort of keep an open door to looking for other people in those areas that you can connect with uh, who might be future employees of the business. Uh, in the event there is a sudden shakeup or a problem that causes you to make a swift change in the practice.
1: You know what this reminds me of? Um, It's, I'm a huge sports fan, so watching a baseball game and and watching the the mid-reliever in a game and he's struggling, and all of a sudden he's walked two players and the the manager calls on the phone and says hey get up the next guy and he's looking over his shoulder looking at the guy in the bullpen going shoot i better get out of this and get my butt in gear and and really start f- throwing strikes so i can keep my job and and be on your toes so they don't bring in another relief pitcher and i think that sounds very similar to that and then all of a sudden you see the guy finds this the strike zone he finally gets out of it and people are clapping and and not to say that that's you know that's something that you're trying to do to your staff. But, you know, if you do keep that active file, I agree with you. I think it definitely gives some motivation on an indirect way saying, you know, not that you can be replaced, but that we are on top of the fact if we need to make a change. Do you agree?
0: Well, you bring up baseball. My wife is a huge Yankees fan, baseball fan. So I know she's on the other side of the pond. Thank you for that. So, 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 (laughs) so, yeah, but so, you know, it's like, the ninth inning is a struggle for her with the Yankees this year every every game
1: every yeah i 'm a pirates fan go, go figure that,
0: yeah, Chaplin was the closer it 's like, oh my god, what 's he going to do now he 's going to load the bases that 's what he 's going to do, and then he's going try, to yeah right, so I hear you totally, <laughs>
1: yeah, no, great, great analogy on that. I actually really like that that pit plan, that process improvement. Um, Program. And, you know, I'm going to kind of, we're going to close on that and just really, you know, hear what Chris said on that. I I really appreciate that because what I'm hearing in a lot of practices is that there's so many providers that are willing to just say, okay, you know, this person's been here forever. I'm really, I want to move on. But, is it is it something you really should do? I mean, is it is it something maybe you should give that person a chance to regroup, reset, and figure out if this is still a good fit for them as well and the practice and save yourself the expense of the unemployment and, and searching somebody out if if they can improve and you can help them with that. I, I really like that, you know, that process. I think that is is fantastic. So, Chris, we want to thank you for being on our podcast today and your amazing insights into these best practices for staffing, medical and dental practices, and paying attention to that employer-employee detail for success in the future. We really appreciate that.
0: It's been my pleasure. I'm really glad to be here and glad to have this discussion. Thank you so much.
1: Awesome. So you can reach Chris at NSCHBC.org, go to the find a consultant tab, type in his first name, and you can also type in his last initial Z and his information will pop up for you. So if you're looking for a um, quality and um, really an experienced consultant that can help you with these issues, Chris is your man. So in closing, as a reminder to our listeners, the NSCHBC podcast also is found on our website at nschbc.org. Please also go there to register for our third quarter Medicare webinar update to get all of the new rules and regulations that have been published over the last couple of months. I actually teach the session, we teach it every quarter, and a review of the new codes for COVID vaccines, boosters, and the reimbursement impact on that will be included in our third quarter uh, webinar. But that's it for today, everyone. Please join us next month, October 12th, when my guest will be NSCHBC member and healthcare attorney Amanda Weish, where we will be discussing the realities of the HIPAA privacy rules, employer mandates for vaccines, and the legalities of what is allowed on that front. You won't want to miss it. So everyone, make it a great day and a great rest of your month. And thank you for listening to the NSCHBC Edge podcast.
0: Thank you for listening to the NSCHBC Edge podcast. Join us on the second Tuesday of each month as our consultants tackle the complexities of navigating the business of medicine. You can reach us on the web at NSCHBC.org, the National Society of Certified Healthcare Business Consultants.